Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. This morning we have an opportunity to praise this great God. And we will also reflect on His greatness as well as our lowliness and how He draws near to the humble. Thank you for joining us today at Highland Crest. It's our excitement to bring you another live worship service where a little bit later on in the service we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where we are reminded or we learn that God's strength, His power is made perfect in our weakness. This morning I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so feel free to turn with me there. During this safer at home order, I have been able to be with my wife and boys more than any other time in my life. I set up an an office there in the basement, and it's there where I'm sending emails, making phone calls. It's there where I'm able to study and pray. It's there where I'm able to just uh, make decisions and, and think through and plan. It's been, a, it's been a wonderfully productive place. But I have known a troubling trend the more that I've been home. I've been able to detect more and more things that either need to be upgraded or repaired. And just yesterday I was talking with my, my wife about that, and she says, well, Chad, your home more than usual, of course you're going to see some stuff. And I've not only noticed that in my physical house on the exterior or interior, but I think I would also say that I've also noticed that within my own family and my own heart. Just yesterday I was out uh, listening to some music and I was addressing one of those long neglected areas, raking up an area around a wood pile that had just oodles and oodles of needles. And as I was raking it, one of my boys was calling for me over and over and over again and, and I found myself getting irritated and angry. And suddenly I, I raised my voice over the Christian music that I was listening to and spoke with a very harsh tone towards my son. And immediately I was convicted. And then I went to him and I confessed my sin for speaking to him in such a harsh tone. I wonder if this interruption in your life has provided a new perspective of your own heart? Have you seen new patterns or or patterns maybe for the first time of irritation, impatience, anger, maybe discontent, or maybe fear? Perhaps you have learned in, in a fresh new way over these last couple of months of your need for God's power and a strength in your life to help fight some of these areas of sin. Well, that is what I want to hit on this morning as we look at verses 7 through 10 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we launch ourselves into that passage, we need to be fair and offer a proper background or context of this. So let me take a few minutes to do that. Around the year 50 A.D., A Christian named Paul, who had a burden to bring this gospel message all around the world, entered the city of Corinth. 
which is modern-day Greece. And he shared the gospel of how people could have their sins forgiven by repenting and placing their faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. A church was born there in Corinth. But because Paul not only had a burden for Corinth, but for the whole world, he eventually would move on to another city and share the gospel there, all the while staying connected to the Christians there in Corinth. But while he was gone, some new people came into that church that were false teachers that brought a message of a different Jesus and a different gospel. And it was their plan to discredit Paul and his ministry. And so they say things like this in, in chapter 11, verse 4, or rather chapter 10, verse 10, that Paul's bodily appearance is weak and his speech is of no account. Translation, Paul can not only teach, he's not very good at that, but he's also ugly. And so they, they sought to just undermine his authority there, the founding pastor of the church there in Corinth. And so Paul found himself in a very awkward predicament. He felt that he had to defend himself in some way when he realized this is not at all what he wanted to do. So we see this in chapter 11, verse 22, where he offers a little bit of a background of his heritage. He said of these false prophets, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. And his point is, I don't want to talk like this, but but I have no choice. I have to give evidence of my ancestry, of my heritage. The second piece of information that he shares to defend who he is is a, a list of his sufferings. And we see that in verse 23 and following. And the point of this is his critics are saying that Paul is not of God. Paul is saying, why would I face so much persecution by the devil if I were not a messenger of God? So let's read this list. In the second part of verse 23, it says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers." In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul is saying, if I were a false teacher, why would I face so much opposition by the devil? And that's a great point. And then he says in verse 28, And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It would be best for us not to see these anxieties as administrative. Like, who am I going to have pastor the church there in Crete? Or who am I going to have serve there in Ephesus? Rather, I think this is the gut-wrenching anxiety that comes when you have invested your life into someone 
only to see them stray from the faith. This is what gives ministers sleepless nights. Then the third credential that he provides is actually here in 2 Corinthians 12. Look with me at verse 1 where it says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. In other words, I don't want want to do this, but I feel like I have to. And then the next few verses speak about a vision that he has. This isn't the only vision that Paul has in the New Testament. There are six different visions that he has in the book of Acts. But this gives a value to this is a man that is walking closely to God. And God is revealing things to him. I sense that Paul is like us. That when he has had a meaningful spiritual experience, that he is prone to pride. So as a result, God responds to that by bringing a thorn, by bringing pain into his life to keep him from being conceited. So now let us consider with the background in hand, let us look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Follow along with me. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, hopefully, as you uh, are settling in here this morning, you have access to an outline. And here I'll make three quick summary points to review this passage together. The first is this. God offers the gift of pain to confront pride. Look with me again at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. I was provided this gift of the thorn to help kill my pride. Has it occurred to you that not every gift that you receive is pleasant at the moment you receive it? When you are an adult and you have children, and maybe you have a sibling or someone that that gives your children a gift and it is really loud, you're looking at that sibling or that adult that gave it a gift and you're like, thanks a lot. Or maybe they, they get you a gift or your kid a gift that's about $10 and it requires $20 in batteries. And you're like, Thanks a lot. Or maybe someone has gifted you a large piece of furniture that for the next couple of decades you'll be toting around every time you move. Not every gift that we receive is as pleasant at the moment we receive it. And in God's wisdom, he presented Paul with a gift. It is a gift of a thorn. The thorn represents intense consistent pain. And this thorn 
has a purpose to deal with this pride in Paul's life. Look at again at verse 7 and says, to keep me from becoming conceited. The word conceited means to be exalted or to be haughty. Paul has just experienced this wonderful vision. And so he doesn't get so boastful about it. God gives him a thorn. Now what is this thorn? I don't know if you've ever had the experience that I have walking outside, maybe in your backyard, maybe with sandals, and suddenly you feel a sharp poke in your foot where a thorn has actually gone through your shoe into the bottom of your foot and it is a throbbing pain. You quickly take your shoe or sandal off and you pull the thorn out. The word thorn here can actually be translated stake. It is a sharp pain. But it is not one that's just like the one in the bottom of your foot that you pull out immediately. Rather, this is a consistent pain. This is an enduring pain that Paul is experiencing. We would see in chapter 12, verse 2, that this vision took place 14 years prior. It is possible that Paul experienced this thorn for 14 years. This is not the only one in the Bible that that had an encounter with God and and had some pain as a result of it. You remember in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob had a limp. What is this thorn? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it an emotional pain? Well, commentators do not exactly know what it is. But we can look at, again, chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, where we see this list of suffering that Paul endured as a result of being a disciple of Jesus. And we can conclude that he had a very high threshold of pain. We would say that he had the fortitude of an army soldier. So if this thorn got his attention, I suspect it would have gotten all of our attentions. It says here that the thorn was given me in the flesh. Are we to take that of his physical body? I don't think so at all. I think this thorn in his flesh is referring to that area of his unredeemed humanness. When a person becomes a Christian, the power of sin and death is removed from them. It was conquered by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Yet, this maturity is a progressive one. We call it progressive sanctification. And Paul had some areas in his life that had still yet to be fully yielded to God. So God brought that stake of pain and directed it to dealing with those areas that he would have to cry out in humility. There are times God allows Satan to tempt in order to achieve a greater work in the life of a believer. You'll see with me again here at verse 7 that it was given me a flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me. God may have granted this. God allowed this by a messenger of Satan. The word messenger in Greek is the word angelus. It is the word angel. And if one is an angel of Satan, what is he? He is a demon. And so God has allowed this spiritual attack on the Paul's life to work a greater good in his life. By the way, this is not the only place in the Bible where we see this. We certainly see this in the life 
of Job. Where in the opening chapters, the devil had to ask permission to tempt and to do harm to Job and his family. We also see this in the New Testament with Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And if you and I are there, we'd say, well, well surely you told him, Jesus, not, not that he can't have me, right? But this is what the passage said. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Through this thorn, Paul would become a more useful instrument in God's army. All of this is to help make Paul more humble. You know that God is committed to your humility? Can you relate to Paul here? Have you ever had some spiritual experience where you feel like you are in the heavenlies? And maybe that has led to some pride in your life? There are times where I've preached a message and we've had a service here where I felt like, yes, nailed it. And often I don't make it through the end of lunch at my home where God has ushered back in humility. Maybe you've heard of American Idol. Many of us have. It's a time where someone would come out and sing and then would be usually around three judges that would offer a critique. Well, in my home, I have five judges. And whenever we've done this live stream, when I, when I enter the front door of our home, there are five little judges that are waiting to critique everything that I've said during the service. And often, they're not critiquing my theology or my doctrine, but they're, they're critiquing the mannerisms in which I say. And I know that the critique will be particularly uh, brutal if I walk through the door and I see the laptop set up and they'll replay all of these little instances for me. And you know what? I think it's funny. I, I think it's good. I, I want to have self-forgetfulness where I don't take myself so seriously. But God uses humility for our good, does he not? Let me just give you a few of these blessings that come from the humble before I move on with our passage. God hears the prayer of the humble. Psalm ten seventeen. This is not in your outline, but just off to the side. God hears the prayer of the humble. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. A second blessing that comes for the humble. God will deliver the humble. Job 22 verse 29. For when they are humbled, you say, it is because of pride. But he saves the lowly. God is concerned for the humble. Psalm 138 verse 6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. God leads and teaches the humble. Psalm 25, verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. And then finally, the humble will have an honorable life. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Let's consider the second point here in our passage, and that is this. God provides grace to those in the midst of pain and weakness. Look with me again here at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So what do you do when you've got pain in your life? You've got this thorn? I think we could follow Paul's example. He prayed, not just once, but three different times that this pain would be removed. 
Does this remind you of anyone else in the New Testament that was about ready to experience some pain, physical and spiritual pain, and prayed three times? Yes, Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed three times as well. An old Christian from the 18th century named John Barrage said this, A Christian never falls asleep in the fire or in the water, but grows drowsy in the sunshine. Our prayer lives intensify during thorns and pain. It is in these times where we often experience a spiritual growth spurt. Now God does answer Paul's prayer, but just not in the way that Paul had intended. God will not deliver Paul from his suffering, but he would provide the grace to bear it. What is grace? A great Bible teacher and author named Jerry Bridges defines grace this way. God's favor through Christ to people who deserve his wrath. God's favor through Christ to people who deserve his wrath. God, in his ultimate wisdom and goodness, is going to provide the strength necessary for Paul to bear with this thorn and this pain. Another way of saying this is the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen him and empower him to make it through better than when he went in. God's power is most evident in frail vessels. God's power is most evident in frail vessels. Paul said it this way earlier in this book. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. When one gets some flowers, their attention is not to the vase but to the splendor of beauty that these flowers exhibit. And our lives are just these simple, frail shells. But we are to exhibit the wonderful love and grace and power of our Lord Jesus through these cracked pots that we are. One might ask themselves, Paul, how is your power made known through weakness there at the church of Corinth? And the obvious answer is, is that there is a church in Corinth. God has used Paul's weakness to see a church born there in the city of Corinth. Many of us think, God, if I could just eliminate this one area of my life, if I could just tweak this spot, if I could just add this, if I didn't have this weakness in my life, then and only then would I be useful to you. And that is a lie. God uses you in the midst of your weakness so that you will depend entirely upon him. Paul said in his first letter to the church of Corinth, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring Nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Christian maturity is linked to acknowledging our weaknesses and asking for help from God and others. 
Christian maturity is linked to acknowledging our weaknesses and asking for help from God and others. He'll say a little bit later here in this, my power is made perfect in weakness. The word perfect here means to bring to completion. It, it, it gives evidence to that I am not a finished product. I am in a process of God working on me. Earlier this week, our family w- was driving somewhere and we saw a stoplight on, on West Mason that was completely down. It was a particularly windy day and the boys had asked, do you think wind blew that down? And I said, I don't blow that down, but I suspect that it was hit by a car of some sort. And there were two trucks with flashing lights waiting for someone to repair that that pole. And as I've thought about that, that gave evidence that that needed to be worked on. And you could just as easily follow me around with a truck in front of me and a truck behind me with flashing lights because God is still working on me. And if you're a Christian, God is still working on you as well. And you know what he uses? He uses thorn and he uses pain and he uses weaknesses. And I don't intend to make this mystical because I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. I think it's quite simple. It's coming to a place where we realize our weaknesses and just asking for help. As a little child, they're just simply learning now on how to eat. And so you try to take a spoon and you dip it into a jar and you give it to them in their mouth and they say, I do it. I can do it by myself. And so you hand them that spoon and you know that they can't do it. They lack the coordination to do it. But they try and they can't do it and they get frustrated and they start crying. They say, help, please help. They get a little bit older and they think they can learn how to ride their bike by themselves. And so they get out this big bike and they say, dad, I can can ride this bike by myself and I know that they can't. And they say, let me try. I, I know I can do it. Now, this kind of illustrates two different ways of parenting. One way that my wife would say, let me just offer a word of warning. And then the second way of which I like to employ, I have found that pain often is a wonderful teacher. And I will say to them, go right ahead. Let's see how this goes for you. And and it is there where they say, I need help. Would you help me? As As I've scraped my knee, now would you help me? And I think that applies right here as well. That God gives us these responsibilities and roles. And we're like, I got this. And then we we start launching ourselves into it. And we realize that we don't have it at all. We're not a leader in our home like we're supposed to. We're not reading the scriptures like we're supposed to. Maybe we don't even know how to read the scriptures. We're not honoring our husbands like we're supposed to. Maybe you're going through something right now. And you are grieving over it. And you're not even exactly sure how you're supposed to grieve over it. And, and you're becoming aware of more and more of your weaknesses. Your, your finances are a mess because you don't know how to manage your finances. And the truth be told, if you're just being honest this morning, you are a fake. You're a fraud. You, you've just been pretending the whole time. God could use a message like this where you're just honest with your weakness. And say, I need help. I need help in every area of my life. God can use someone like that. I I am discovering that the Christian life is exciting when we remove the safety net and have to trust entirely on God's strength. 
a few years ago, three or four years ago, during the last presidential campaign cycle, I remember Pastor Jim and Vonna were out on vacation, and we had a candidate as well as our, our governor of the state come here for a worship service. And so I was there to usher them in. Okay, let's pray together. Let, let's find a place to sit. And so the first several minutes of the service, I was so preoccupied by getting that stuff all situated. And then I went off to the side, and we were just minutes away from me going up and preaching a message, and I began to look for my notes, and my notes were nowhere to be found. And so I, I grabbed the bulletin, and we had an outline with a fill-in-the-blank, and I just started filling in the blank, and Melody says, what are you doing? I said, I have no idea where my notes are. What, 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 how are you going to do this? I, I'm just going to have to trust entirely on God. And there is something very scary, but also exhilarating about that. So this morning, you might say, man, I'm aware of all these weaknesses. Instead of hiding, bring them out in the light and ask God's help and maybe ask others' help with them. Thirdly and finally then, God is drawn to the weak. His power rests on them. Look with me at the last part of verse 9. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't think for a moment that means that we celebrate our laziness. We celebrate mediocrity. No, it means we do it as best we can. We, we give our, all of ourselves to the Lord and to the gospel. But there are areas of weakness within us. And instead of hiding those, we ask for God's grace and His strength to be made perfect through them. And then he says here in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If, if these things uh, only expose how weak I am, Paul is saying, bring them on. Because then I will have more grace, more of God's strength to work through this, this broken vessel, this jar of clay. And consider with me what the scripture says about normal, even, even below average people. Look with me at Isaiah 57 verse 15. Uh, this is a magnificent verse. God says, I dwell. Repeat that word, dwell. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What does the word dwell mean? I inhabit. I come alongside. I bring my presence to. And who does he go to? The lowly the contrite, those who are broken, the weak. Consider with me the list of who's who in the Old Testament. You see Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 27, who says, I who am but dust and ashes. You see a Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He can't even speak right. Or how about Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 15? Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Or David in 1 Samuel 18, verse 23, who said, I am a poor man and have no 
reputation. Could it be that the one reason that God used Paul so extensively in the first century was that Paul was painfully aware of his weaknesses. There was no pretense to Paul. My wife tells me, and one thing for sure, is I've certainly got a a greater appreciation as I've been home more and more, an appreciation for all that my wife does. There are times where she gets with other homeschool families and moms and they'll, they'll have a meal together and she has noticed, hey Chad, there's still this, this element of junior high or high school of these groups over here and, and these groups over here and, and your, your, your kids dress a certain way and you want to be in on that group. But she said, God's worked in my life and I just want to find people, maybe they're sitting by themselves and I want to just go and minister to them and get to know them. Paul had no pretense. This thorn led to empathy for others. Was, his, was not his credibility linked to his humble authenticity? You know, the truth is for me, I don't know much about thorns or stakes in my flesh. I think I'm pretty fragile when it comes to pain. I haven't experienced the, the levels of pain that many of you have. In this past September, when we brought our, at that time, four-year-old boy to the hospital and he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, that for us, that certainly got our attention. And now for the rest of his life, this little boy would be getting his fingers poked or, or getting shots. And we can remember those early days where he would run around and we have to give you a shot, son. No, I don't want to. I don't want a shot. And we'd be like, we don't want to give you a shot but we have to for your overall health. And then, not long after that, we also learned that he had celiac, where we learned something about gluten-free food. And I'm just being honest, up until that point, we made fun of people who, who, who abstained from gluten. We're like, what's the matter with them? Just eat the stuff. But now we're realizing that it is serious and that we were wrong to do that. And now we're having to look at our own food and the food that he he eats. But in the midst of this, what we would say has been a challenge for us. There's been a lot of good that's come from it. Our marriage, my wife and I's marriage is stronger than ever. It's brought a unity to our family for our boys to look out for their little brother. It's also given us an opportunity to be the recipients of ministry. So often we're about trying to serve others. But people have had compassion on us. It used to be that the children's hospital was just a vague concept. Now it's a, it's a personal knowledge for us. And we've gotten a, a greater appreciation for those in the healthcare industry. It's, it's certainly worked good in our lives. It's given us a much more empathy for others that are going through something like that. Let me close with this. The greatest display of weakness and power is Jesus on the cross. And we see that in the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Let me read this for you. Speaking of Jesus, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. We look to Jesus as our example. And he demonstrated weakness 
when he willingly laid his life down to honor the Father. And it was through that weakness that we might have the strength and power to live for him. As you're watching or listening to this today, I believe that there are many whom God has brought you to the end of yourself. And you are aware of your weaknesses in a level that you haven't been made aware of before. What ought you to do with that? Realize this, that Jesus came in his weakness to bear your sins on the cross. And he was raised from the dead in the power of the resurrection that you might be made whole and experience God's strength. I would say to you, right where you're at, confess your sins, confess your weakness, ask God to make you a new person, that he would give you the strength to be the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that he wants you to be. Be born again. He will answer that prayer. Here's also what I'd like us to do today. I mentioned at the beginning of our service that we would have a time at the end of our service for you as a family, or maybe it's just you there in the living room, for you to have some meaningful prayer. How can I apply this passage? One, what is the weakness? What is the pain that God has brought in your life? Articulate that. And then two, if you're by yourself, pray that God's strength and power would be made perfect, make complete in that weakness. And maybe you're a family this morning and you're around with your wife and your kids. I would say to the dads, dads, you lead off. And you just open up and say, here is a weakness in my life. Here is, here is some pain that is in my life right now. And I ask for you to pray for me about that. Then wives, you lead up. You be the second. And then children, you have an opportunity as well. In a moment, I'm going to give you some time to pray together. It's probably not only just prayer, but it's offering up some, some just honesty about your own life. And may God actually lead to confessing some sin right there among your family. My prayer for this time is that there would be a greater sense of unity in your family as a result of the close of this message. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to set a timer. And we're going to give you five minutes to pray. And then at the close of that five minutes, we're going to close our service with a wonderful song by Miss Jenny. But I don't want you to feel rushed in your prayer time. Let's take advantage of technology right now. If if you get into a conversation and some prayer time that extends beyond five minutes, the 10, the 15, the 20 minutes, don't worry about that song. Because you're watching this online, you can easily go back and watch that song. It would be more important to me that you do what God wants you to do over the next hour than it is for you to watch that song in the next five minutes. So make the most use of this time. My prayer as a result of this message, as a result of this prayer time, there would be men and women reaching out to one another saying, hey, would you pray for me in this area? God has revealed this weakness. I not only need God's help, but this is an area of strength for you. Would you help me in this area? May God unify his church even while we're not meeting together. I'm going to pray real briefly, and then we're going to start five minutes. If you're by yourself, identify that weakness, that thorn, and ask God to to give you strength. 
If you're with others, identify that weakness and ask the other to pray for you. Father, use your word right now, I pray, to bring honesty and transparency and authenticity among families. Bring a brokenness. Bring healing. Bring a, a sense of coming together as a family for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.